Welcome to the IBM Podcast Network. I had a strange dream the other night. I dreamed that I died and went to heaven. At least that's what the entry gate said. There was a sign that told me welcome to heaven. So I went in and there was some sweet music at the start and I thought ah oh, this is going to be wonderful. Maybe there will be unlimited seafood platters here. Maybe there will be slaves in silk harem pants who will hold up grapes above my face as I recline languorously on a couch. All day long I will get massages from voluptuous women who keep telling me how slim I am, who giggle at all my bad jokes and flirt with me so endlessly that an accidental non-flirtatious statement seems like downright rudeness. The music will be mellow, the saffron will be yellow. This will be heaven. Instead, Imagine my shock and horror when I find that it's really a dark and dingy dungeon. There are cockroaches all over. It smells like the underperformer in the Sulab Shochale family. There is ice cold water dripping from the ceiling. There are mosquitoes as big as frogs. There are frogs as big as cats with slimy skin that gives off mild electric shocks when they bump into you. The chairs have spikes on them and worst of all the music is Justin Bieber. I am in shock when I see all this. Am I really in heaven? I turn around towards the entrance and I see a babu in a safari suit wearing a badge that says Under Secretary, Department of Salvation. What's going on? I ask him. Am I really in heaven? Yes, he says. You are. What happened to it? I ask. He replies, We nationalized it. Welcome to the seen and the unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the seen and the unseen. My topic for today is public sector banks. In 1969, Indira Gandhi carried out a big wave of bank nationalizations with immensely noble stated intentions. Were those bank nationalizations good for us? What were their unintended effects? Indeed, our public sector banks structurally flawed in such a way that the very concept makes no sense. To discuss all this and more, I have as my guest on the show my very good friend Kumar Anand, an economist based in Mumbai. Welcome to the show, Kumar. Thank you for having me. Kumar, tell me, in 1969, when Indira Gandhi carried out her wave of bank nationalizations, what were the stated intentions behind the move? the stated reasons could broadly be categorized into two of them one was financial inclusion so not many people had access to the institutional form of credit so the government wanted to make those uh, forms of credit available to people who were otherwise unbanked and second was directing credit into areas which government thought was necessary in which areas the the credit should go so it was a laudable uh, thinking that uh, hey people in rural areas don't have access to bank credit and private banks won't open up there so let's nationalize and then we can open up branches anywhere and give credit to people who otherwise wouldn't get it exactly so in hindsight when academics have uh, studied this phenomenon they have said that financial inclusion and, and directed credit were the two main reasons but uh, uh, the government's stated objective at the time itself in when in the if you read the ordinance when uh, these ordinances were promulgated and banks were nationalized the instrument through which it happened they have said that we are basically taking these resources so that we can better plan the development of the country as you know after independence what we had done was uh, we adopted a central planning model of uh, development and for that you need lot of resources 
but the the problem that india faced that we had a democracy and uh, private properties so you can't do the kind of planning which for example soviet russia did so you had to do these kind of appropriations so in a sense it's just as nehru made the mistake of thinking oh india needs to be a planned economy and not realizing that economies grow by themselves and the government should just essentially stay out of the way and maintain the rule of law and indira took it one step forward by saying that hey we need more resources to control and plan the economy so we will take it from uh, the private sector yeah in a way we were not learning the lessons so mm-hmm. for example uh, the planning entire thing started in 1950 and uh, during the time we nationalized in the decade of 1950 we nationalized transportation we nationalized mining we nationalized parts of uh, insurance corporations and uh, but always the reason of not getting the right result from the planning was given that we don't have enough resources so you kept on trying to get more and more resources and it was in that same went and you know spirit that we nationalized bank in 69 and then again in 80 now tell me something it, it's uh, one of the interesting things about the nationalizations of 69 and all uh, all of the other similar measures that uh, indra carried out were that despite the economic reasoning given which you just laid out uh, there was also a political backdrop to it uh, can you tell me a little bit about that political backdrop the little political backdrop uh, could broadly be i think framed in terms of that all major political parties and the entire rhetoric at the time was extremely interventionist in nature so no matter all the mainstream parties were different shades of you could say interventionism with the sole so, exception of swatantra which was yeah which died soon after yeah. so what they were trying to do is they were trying to outdo each other so you want to appear more pro poor so you have to go and take away properties of someone people who are otherwise rich so bankers insurance people who run insurance companies you take away those properties and say that yes we are uh, doing it for poor and we are directing resources so that in future probably india will develop very intuitive zero sum thinking uh, in other words and the interesting immediate backdrop is that indira gandhi was sort of this is when the congress kind of broke into two congress i and congress o and uh, for indira because uh, the other faction of the congress was uh, leaders who had lived through the nehru years but kind of learned from the mistakes and were trying for a course correction the only way for indira to differentiate herself was to go further leftward and this kind of pro poor rhetoric though these actions of course harm the poor the most but uh, the rhetoric is pro poor uh, was a very good way of setting her brand apart you know garibi hata indira is india and so on uh, so tell me something just going back to the scene objectives before we get to the unseen effects to what extent were even those scene objectives uh, attained well frankly speaking not much and when you nationalize these banks and so as uh, i was mentioning the first tranche was done in 1969 when you nationalized 14 banks and then again in 1980 when you nationalized six more so what you had was majority of the banking was all publicly owned all owned by the government of india so you couldn't say that what you don't have a basically a counterfactual so you can't say if there was a private sector bank what would have happened because all banking in india at the time was uh, uh, all uh, owned by the government and run by them so both the objectives of financial inclusion and directed credit in hindsight people have studied this in 2008 i think planning commission set up uh, a committee under the chairmanship of raghuram rajan and he studied uh, public sector banking in a uh, little bit detailed did some studies on uh, ran some numbers and judged the effectiveness of 
public sector banking having existed for now about 30 40 years what were the success and on both the measures it turned out that they had not done really well so just to quickly tell you about a few of them so take for example financial inclusion on financial inclusion uh, the committee found that poor in richly branched urban areas have no more access than in poor in rural areas so the problem of financial inclusion is not so much about availability of branches but rather poverty itself right yeah. second for example could be that uh, they found that no systematic relationship existed between uh, regional credit disbursement and the presence of uh, public sector bank then they also found that in rural areas where private banks are present they don't discriminate against the poor so for at the end of the day it's business for them so if uh, and rajan in fact has uh, concluded that the kind of environment you want to build is where you compete for the poor. Uh, now, when you look at uh, the other objective, which was directed credit, in recent years, we have seen that private banks have done better than public sector banking in achieving the priority sector lending criteria. Uh, just to give you a quick background, the priority sector lending is something that RBI mandates that every commercial bank in India, private or public, will have to lend 40 rupees out of every 100 rupees that they lend out to priority sectors, which are agriculture, micro, small and medium enterprises, etc., etc. So in those areas, the committee found that the private sector banks have done a much better that job than a public sector bank. Then, again, coming back to the same uh, directed credit, uh, they also found that in terms of loan timing, uh, in times of drought in a district, private banks appear to provide more agricultural loans, while public sector banks provide more consumption loans. Again, in long term, which is harmful. And when it comes to quality of directed lending, the share of NPAs in the PSL has been higher for uh, public sector banks. Yeah, and the greater efficiency and the higher quality that the private banks provide is, of course, because of the incentives involved, which we'll come to later. But I just wanted to point out this funny mishearing that when you spoke about the Raghuram Rajan committee, you said the ransom numbers, and I heard that as ransom numbers, which yeah. is... Uh, sort of an appropriate mishearing. Now, let's get to uh, the crux of the matter. Before we even get to the unseen effects, the unseen effects are really a consequence of the incentives in play, how the incentives are different in public sector banks from private sector banks. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? So, If you think about it, think of uh, any government uh, enterprise. Uh, right now, we are discussing public sector banks, but that is true for almost any other enterprise. So when you're running, for an, running an enterprise, what is your objective? If it is a private enterprise, the objective is uh, profit maximization. Now, I should uh, form on that the government and the public sector banks themselves, they know that the profit maximization is not their goal. So their goal is financial inclusion and directed credit. And we just saw that, you know, they have not been able to successfully achieve those credit. Now, the incentive, the way it works for public sector bank is that people who work there, their jobs are tenured. Uh, they don't have uh, too much of, uh, you know, uh, they have complete job security. So no matter what, you know, mishap happens, uh, their jobs are guaranteed. They don't have any incentive or disincentive because uh, if they do a good job, they're not going to get a great pay hike or if they do a bad job, they're not going to get a rap on the knuckles. So essentially what is true of all government, what is true of public sector banks therefore also is what Friedman mentioned in his four ways of spending which is Friedman's law of spending rather. So there are four ways in which you can spend money. One, you can spend your own money on yourself when you obviously try to maximize value because you're spending it on yourself, but you also want to economize because it's your own money. The other is when you spend your money on someone else, when you want to economize, but you don't care so much about value because it's going to someone else. 
the third is when you spend someone else's money on yourself when you want value but you don't really care about economizing because it's someone else's money such as for example if you're work in a company and they send you on a foreign trip and you'll be ordering whatever right, you right. want in room service because that's taken care of by the company and the fourth uh, way is when you spend somebody else's money on somebody else where you don't care about value and you don't care about economizing it's not your money you're not spending it on anyone else and that is all of government and to add to that to add to um, this is the fact that all of government is therefore also tenured so even those incentives aren't there it's just their incentives revolve around how they can use their power for personal benefit and that is something that is a problem with any public sector enterprise especially public sector banks and one reason why they haven't achieved their objectives yeah in a way you could say yeah that's true that's correct so getting to the crux of the matter the unseen effects can you elaborate on some of the unseen effects that come from these perverse incentives uh, sure uh, there are too many so what but we'll limit ourselves to a few of them uh first you can directly look at the what are the direct costs in terms of uh, so these banks have to regularly go for uh, recapitalization and because it's government owned so the liability lies on the government and government has to finance it that means uh, we taxpayers have to pay for it right and uh, some of the data that we had collected uh, some time ago we found that so in about 30 years from 1985-86 onwards till now the amount of money that taxpayers had to pay is 1,47,000 crore for uh, the recapitalization of banks. Now imagine the direct cost which we incur for uh, maintaining these banks, uh, all this alternate use that these money could have been used for. Uh, we know that uh, our you know criminal justice system is so poorly staffed in terms of policemen and the number of judges you can hire. So 1,47,000 crore is a lot of money. So of course one is the direct cost itself. Then this also promotes inefficiency in the entire banking system. So for example, uh the people as we were just discussing the people who run this they don't have the skin in the game you know so so think of the example like uh, maruti when it comes to car industry and uh bajaj when it comes to scooters so you didn't see much of or bsnl or mtnl uh, when it comes came to telephone so you didn't see much of technological advancement when it was happening uh, uh when they had sort of a, almost a monopoly on these sectors so similarly the same is true with banks so for a longest period you didn't see any uh, advancement and even today public sector bank almost always uh, one step behind the advancement that uh, the private sector banks have uh, done Uh, many of the public sector banks i know they, they uh, struggle with uh, running our atm so internet uh, banking is crashed they don't run very efficiently in fact so, just just to take this point forward about inclusion and and you mentioned uh, the telephones and i'm glad you do so and if you like i grew up in the 80s where um, we had one government telecom provider which was mtnl and we had one airline which was air india slash indian airlines for domestic and foreign and um, what you found was now i was from a privileged family we had phones at home but otherwise if you applied for a phone you had to there were five year waiting periods and right. so on right. massive scarcity not just technology just basic scarcity and similarly with airlines only very very rich people could use them even the common middle class guy couldn't dream of flying it was like a very big deal at the time uh, and what happened is the moment the government opened it up because of competition inclusion happened right today anybody can buy a phone today your maid servant who comes home right. has a phone which can do so right. much more than the most advanced technology of those times and today far more people fly than uh, uh, back in the day it's become much more uh, commonplace so the best way of increasing inclusion in these specific sectors was simply opening it up 
and today therefore mtnl seems irrelevant air india seems irrelevant and hopefully won't exist for too long as a government owned uh, company and why doesn't the same logic apply to banking well that is a question which has been uh, unfortunately not even been asked so whether uh, it comes to academicians they think this as a political economy problem this is unsolvable so they they just can't touch it uh, ragunam rajan committee report when it was uh, giving us recommendation it falls short of suggesting uh, privatization of the banks the most recent example is in 2014 i think it was rbi which constituted a pgni committee report and i think uh, they are the ones who delve very deeply into the governance of uh, public sector banks and they also almost you know have explicitly said that uh, you know we can't consider almost a privatization of banks so their entire recommended set of recommendations just veered around what all they can do within the current system you know current governance so essentially structure. they'll identify it becomes, the pro- it becomes sort of a holy cow so, so they'll identify the problem correctly and they know what's wrong with it but they just stop short of suggesting the correct solution even though they know it is that because of pressures in the political economy per se uh, i don't know maybe it, it it could be just be that they see this as a holy cow yeah. while at some point of time uh, one of these guys have also mentioned that the rbi has mandated private sector lending Mm. which should achieve the objective of uh, the government so ma- no matter whether you are icic bank or a state bank of india you have to give certain amount of credit so with, in this case 40% and 80% of that goes to agriculture uh, directly to you know the credit disbursement should go into these areas so it should not matter i mean you have already right, mandated right. so whether it is uh, state bank of india tomorrow gets uh, privatized they will still have to abide by those rules and, and there are arguments against such mandates also but be that as it may uh, exactly. if you have the exactly. mandate you don't need the public sector banks because your purpose is achieved and is achieved better and more efficiently absolutely but i'm sorry i interrupted you and set you off on this digression so the first two unseen effects you mentioned were one uh, when banks get recapitalized it basically comes from taxpayers money which is us and you mentioned the humongous amount of uh, money spent on only in the last 3 years it was 50 50000 crores the last 3 years has been including this year this financial year it is 50000 crores see these figures don't mean a thing to me because i can't yeah. comprehend 50000 crores i can comprehend yeah. 50000 or even 50 crores what is 50000 crores i mean if you stacked up 10 rupee coins you'd probably get from here to the moon yeah, i'm I guessing think so probably yeah. yeah or maybe not whatever we leave it to someone else to if you take a different currency probably mars even that yeah i mean zimbabwe currency you can just get out of the milky way right so the two seen the two unseen effects i apologize uh, you mentioned were direct uh, the fact that or the recapitalization uh, expenses are basically borne by us and you've demonstrated how that's happened through the years 50000 crores over the last 3 years and the second is that um there's inefficiency because of incentives because the bureaucrats who run the banks have no skin in the game as you put it and therefore uh, they don't really uh, i mean why should they do a good job what else so that uh, we have been listening recently a lot about npas so you could say that even N- uh, rising npas is a part of that now how does that happen so imagine a world where you have a monopoly over giving out banking and today more about almost about 70% of the banking business is done by public sector banks in many areas they are the only banks operating so if you want a loan you have to go to that neighborhood bank uh, which is owned by the government and the guy sitting there at the head of the table who has to sign your loan and award that loan to you has this arbitrary power and you can't turn to someone else the local money lender you will go to will probably charge you 40% or maybe even more so you know that in this case you are stuck with that so what this does is uh, well this becomes a case of corruption then so the arbitrary power 
which is now lies in the hands of uh, monopoly in a way which has been uh, existed for a long time and the incentives uh, the way we discussed so this in a way breeds corruption it becomes a a breeding ground for corruption uh, outside of that it become uh, think about uh, when we're talking about npas uh, a direct and obvious consequence of all this is a higher npas uh, there's no need to or incentive for the psp employee to do a thorough check of uh, a prospective borrower so if uh, i go and want a loan for about a crore rupees from to buy a house from uh, icici bank the guy who is going to award me that loan is going to be very thorough with this but if he's going to look into my credit history whether i have paid back loans in the past on time or not uh, now there are agencies which are doing this uh, kind of uh, uh, reporting and background checks for you but not necessarily those kind of incentive exists for public sector bank it, and therefore you will see that the npas are for the public sector bank are almost always higher than for those for private sector banks in fact the opposite incentives uh, exist because uh, often if powerful politicians say ki bhai isko loan do aur usko loan do they don't really have an option but to agree the columnist vivek call wrote an interesting piece on the site that i edit pragati i think pragati.com the name of the piece is called the separation of knowledge and power and he gave some great figures in there now consider these in the sbi their bad loans ratio of the bank when it came to home loans was 0.43% when it came to auto loans it was 0.65% for overall retail loans it was 0.55% but vivek's piece reveals for large corporates is 9.67% for mid corporates is 19.35% for small and medium enterprises it's 7.04% which means 10 to 20 times as much as for auto loans or retail loans and far far more than the npas of private sector banks and the reason for this is essentially that politician tells you ki bhai isko do you have to and you don't like another interesting figure he points out as he refers to a specific loan where a public sector bank gave a loan at a debt to equity ratio of 14.621 while no private sector bank will ever give a similar loan at a debt to equity ratio more than 2 to 1 and this is 14.621 this specific loan that he talks about which is obviously political pressure and is deeply irresponsible and that is why we have such a massive npa problem in the country today this also brings me to another uh, unseen effect of uh, the ownership of uh, uh, government banks is that it creates an uneven playing field in the market so there is sort of sovereign guarantee which lies behind all these public sector banks which have been created by an almost act of parliament so you won't see even their name appear in the other public sector enterprises uh, so there is a sovereign guarantee which these public sector banks enjoy which a private sector bank does not enjoy so a public sector bank can never go bust that means because they have the taxpayers always standing behind to bail them out so essentially if a public sector bank gives a loan to someone for 70000 crores and that person defaults hey no sweat because the taxpayer pays for it right whereas with the private sector bank the taxpayer doesn't pay for it the bank can go bust it's a bank's responsibility and therefore the incentives are much better within the organization to prevent that kind of occurrence exactly exactly and this prevents from a robust market to develop right. for banking uh, because it depresses uh, the you know the private sector bank's competitiveness to compete and uh, even then you will find it uh, uh, our private sector banks have done excellently well by you know grabbing almost more than 30% of the market share from the time they were allowed to come into you know and start uh, being in the business but, of banking but there's an argument that the counterfactual is that the banking sector would be far more developed if public sector banks simply didn't exist because 
what public sector banks also do as you pointed out in our conversation with me earlier is that they create an uneven playing field which stops private sector banks from growing exactly exactly then there are some of the other uh, unseen effects of uh, public sector banks are that it depresses the growth in the economy so when the flow of credit is determined arbitrarily by the government or bureaucrat and not by the profitability or viability of a business what happens then more often than not the hard earned savings which a banking institution is supposed to channelize into productive other productive uses now gets channelized into non productive uses and uh, that's why the higher npas and etc cetera, etc cetera. so you see that the otherwise growth of the economy would have been much higher uh, than what we see now which also causes uh, less jobs to be created and other uh, exactly so in a proper in, in a proper free market where failing companies are allowed to fail and where everything are just for supply and demand the money would go where the money is needed the most and that is something that government with its fatal conceit of central planning simply cannot manage right right then uh, another unseen effect is uh, the damage it does to the fiscal consolidation so we have something called frbm act uh, fiscal responsibility and budget management act where the government of india has put a constraint on itself saying that we will abide by these rules and not spend more than say a certain amount of money in this case being more than 3% of gdp as fiscal deficit so they won't cross that uh, but from the time of financial crisis they have always been breaching that number they have never gotten back to it and sovereign credit rating agencies when they come and rate india they have always you know reprimanded in a way the government saying that you know you guys have been very profligate particularly when it comes to banking and not being able to control your npas and therefore it prevents india from getting a good rating and when you don't get a good rating that means the price the cost of borrowing for the entire economy goes up so any business when when they go out of india try to borrow money you know the cost of borrowing for it goes up and similarly for uh, india itself the uh, the sovereign bonds that the government of india will issue it will be able to raise funds at a higher rate uh, from uh, foreign borrowers so the ripple effects so the ripple effects of that essentially go far far beyond the taxes that we pay or our taxpayers money going into capitalizing yeah, these banks yeah. so go into the whole economy being uh, curtailed as a result of all of this yeah. you mentioned the financial crisis so i want to ask you a question here which you know a lot of people speaking in favor of public sector banks often say that look we didn't suffer so badly from the 2008 financial crisis because so much of our banking was public sector and blah 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 and this is the way the system is and it's a good thing what's your response to that uh definitely not you know so imagine a guy who is living in uh, a jungle of uh, say uh, central india in somewhere in uh, it could be chatisgarh or jharkhand you know when the crisis hit he was not affected at all the same uh, analogy can be used for india so if you are not integrated with the world economy and a crisis is hit and if you don't say that you know i didn't get hurt because uh, i was able to regulate my banking system very well is not a very good argument to make you know because you also lost quite a lot had you been integrated into the global economy you would have been able to have access to these uh, sources of finance you would have been able to make kind of investments which you were never able to do etc etc so the opportunity cost is very high that way in other words what you're saying is that if you if we were integrated into the world economy the gains from that would have been so much over the years that even if we suffered more in percentage loss terms uh, because of the financial crisis we would still overall be far better off than what we were definitely i mean look at just the per capita income of uh, the countries which suffered uh, and per capita income of india they are even after the crisis they are much better off than uh, we are today so in a sense it's not a feature it's a bug <laughs> you could say that yeah
but uh, i'll also say that uh, public sector banks uh, are not exactly completely uh, the culprits here in a way they are also victims uh, let me explain that a bit so public sector banks have to go through dual regulation you know so on the one hand rbi regulates them like every other commercial bank private banks while ministry of finance also regulates them uh, number 2 is that the poor pay compared to you know uh, a private sector bank so which we have discussed uh, briefly in the, in the beginning that there is no way because of these written rules and which cannot be changed without permission from say ministry of finance or uh, a finance minister or somewhere uh, at that level uh, you cannot you know get good talent through which you can probably do a better business uh then there is external vigilance enforcement through uh, uh chief vigilance commissioner or cbi which are mandated to look into uh the workings and the dealings of uh, public sector bank in certain cases public sector bank are also open to rti inquiries so what happens is that the incentive that the banker has knowing that he is going to be publicly scrutinized for all these uh, from all these various agencies is to play a little more safe and not trying to take kind of uh, risks uh, that uh, otherwise a uh, private banker would do and therefore increase and these are some of the reasons probably through which uh, you know a public sector bank should be on par and play with uh, private sector bank on the same I mean, they, they, should, they should be freed up basically and try and uh, let them operate like a private sector bank so and that sense, can happen through uh, making them uh, like privatizing them so in a sense this is like the flip side of the npa problem the npa problem is that you're forced by political pressure to give out loans to people which you know are bad loans that are never coming back and the flip side of that is that when it comes to giving out loans because you know that every action of yours will be scrutinized you are inclined and incentivized indeed to just play it completely safe and uh, whereas with a private sector bank there's a healthy amount of risk that you have to take on with due diligence of course which uh, public sector bank employees because they're not being rated on performance per se just want to cover their asses yeah. except when order comes from netaji right exactly kumar it's been a pleasure having you on the show thanks so much thank you very much And that's all we have for today. I'll see you next week, but if you just can't resist having more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at Amit Verma. That's A M I T V A R M A. You can also head on over to my blog India Uncut at indiauncut.com and if you want to binge listen to past episodes of The Scene and the Unseen, and who can blame you for that? Head on over to sceneunseen.in. If you enjoyed listening to the scene and the unseen check out another hit show from Indusvox Media Networks Cyrus Says which is hosted by my old colleague from MTV Cyrus Brocha you can download it on any podcasting network Excuse me bhaiya excuse me Bole madam menu mein kya hai Menu mein scene unseen hai podcast hai on course hai Cyrus Says hai Made in India Rediscovery Project Empowering Series Sexwax hai IBM Likes hai Simplified hai Keeping It Queer hai Things and Destinations hai My Neighbor Zuckerberg hai aur The Fan Garage aapko kya chahiye hai uh, ek baar repeat kar denge kya Repeat repeat nahi karta hum aap jao ibmpodcast.com pe aur suno ye sab ya fir download karo unka app sab aapki ungliyon pe